You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1218 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on this podcast. Make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or our newly launched YouTube channel, where I'm talking to you right now on the video side. And with all that out of the way, the Atlanta Hawks are moving on to round two of the play-in tournament, at least the second game of the play-in tournament, as they got a breezy win, 132-103 to against the Hornets on Wednesday. There were times... Again, times, not all the way through, but times when the Hawks were not in the greatest position in this game. They were winning really the entire way, but it was a little bit shaky at times. It was not over. I was trying not to have my guard go down as an observer and you know, trying to plan ahead to Friday, all that fun stuff. But then the Hawks basically doubted up in the third quarter, and when it was over, it was over. The Hawks, as we'll get into later on, scored on 14 consecutive possessions in the third quarter. That is extremely hard to do against any team, any time, but to have that happen in a winner-go-home scenario, um, the Hawks were awesome, the Hornets were not, and uh, the result of the game was a pretty positive one for Atlanta. So we'll get into all of what transpired, as we always do on this show, but basically the uh, long story short is that the Hawks played very well in this game, the Hornets did not, and with the win, the Hawks will be moving on to Friday in another winner-go-home scenario against the Cleveland Cavaliers, this time though on the road, which we'll talk about at the end of this podcast. As for the game itself... Of course, the Hawks, as we talked about endlessly last night. By the way, if you missed it, I understand this is not really relevant anymore, but it was a, a full-on preview episode on Tuesday. So I'm going to leave out some of the particulars of the preview aspect of this game. But if you missed it, it's basically a, team, a, a game between teams that are pretty similar in terms of overall profile. Not necessarily play style, but the Hawks are an offense first team. Elite offense, poorest defense at times. Charlotte, same thing. A little bit, a little bit worse on offense, a little bit better on defense for the entire season. But in this game... The Hawks were able to establish themselves at both ends of the floor, and we'll get into all of why in a moment. But um, as for the injury report, just as a reminder here, John Collins still out for the Hawks. Lou Williams still out for the Hawks as well. Gordon Hayward out in this game for Charlotte. And the Hawks were five-point favorites. So they were favored solidly in this game at home, but uh, not necessarily by 28 point, 29 points. So it was, all, it was pretty much never in doubt in the second half. And by the way, with this win, I'm not sure it really counts because the play-in is kind of a black hole for stats. They don't count really as regular season stats or playoff stats. But if you count this one, the Hawks are now 20-3 and three in their last 23 games at home. It's a shame they won't be playing at home on Friday, but alas, if they were get, get into the playoffs, having that kind of home court dominance that they've had recently would be very, very helpful. Um, as for the game itself, we'll dive in now as to kind of what transpired here. We'll go through all the uh, nuts and bolts, then we'll get some, t- some takeaways, player evaluations, and then again, and look ahead to Cleveland on Friday. But coming out of the gate, the Hornets made their first couple shots from three-point range. They took a lead early on. They were blitzing Trey Young defensively, which was expected in a lot of ways. Talked about this a little bit myself last night and also two days ago on the Locked on Hornets crossover podcast that I did. But I expected the Hornets to be aggressive with Trey, blitzing him with Plumlee, giving him different looks. And actually, if you watch this game, Trey wasn't like dominant as a score. In fact, he was not even very efficient in this game. But I think he played better than the numbers indicate because he was able to make the right play for the most part. And they were giving him so much attention that was uh, able to open up other stuff for the Hawks in this game. That kind of happened early and often. Anytime Plumlee was out there, they were trapping almost everything. Um, when Montrezl Harrell played, the Hawks were able to score kind of whenever they wanted to. And then when they went, when they went small with the five-out lineup that we kind of expected to happen at times with P.J. Washington, the Hawks score on that 
at will as well. Um, Herder actually started on a Lamella Ball and did a good job in this game. Trey on Rozier and then Hunter on Miles Bridges. And by the way, Hunter had a good game here defensively and offensively. Took Bridges out of the game at times defensively and then played very well in the third quarter in particular on offense. The Hawks had kind of a slow start. They were 2-7 from the floor, but they had a 9-2 run later on in the first quarter in about 70 seconds to get the lead back. And that became a 20-5 overall push by Atlanta that included threes by Herder and Hunter. Uh, a, a nice lob from Trey to Capella. In fact, Capella had seven points, three rebounds in the first six minutes or so. Herder made his first three threes. And the Hawks were up by 11 points in a in a hurry, let's just say. And by the way, the Hawks never trailed again from there. So they trailed at the outset and then never went behind at any other point in this game. Rotationally, not a huge surprise. What the Hawks elected to do here is Bogdanovich as the first sub, then DeLon and Okongwu. Those are the eight guys that we all expected to play in this game. I don't know the answer to this. I'm actually curious to see, but they brought Gallinari back in for, for Hunter pretty quickly, which is what you would do if you were going to play only eight guys in this spot. But then Gallo got a second foul in the first quarter, and that got TLC into the game. So I'm not sure what the plan was in terms of playing eight versus playing nine, but in the competitive portion, TLC was the ninth man, very obviously, and the Hawks played nine guys until garbage time in this one. Um, and they actually brought Capella back in a little bit early because Conway got, got two fouls in his own right. The Hawks were up by 13 in the first quarter, ended up being up by nine despite one of nine shooting from Trey at the end of the first quarter. I will say he took a couple bad shots. I thought he probably was a little bit, bit over-aggressive. I don't think he played as bad again as the numbers indicate in this game. But with the Hawks getting kind of whatever they wanted to on offense, he didn't necessarily have to score. And I think he just took him a little bit of time to figure that out in this game. But the Hawks took care of the ball in the first quarter. They held Charlotte to less than a point per possession in the first quarter. And that was a uh, kind of a microcosm of what was going to be coming for all sides. As usual, the non-trade minutes happened at the, end of the sec- at the beginning of the second quarter, and they had a Kongo back in the game. They actually only went minus one in that stint. That's a huge win, generally, for the Hawks to only lose that stretch without Trey by one point. And the offense was not a total disaster, but it was kind of bad at, at points in that stretch. But the Hawks, it felt like, I wrote this down in my notes and also tweeted it just to keep myself accountable, like they were playing well and had a lot of advantages, but they were only up by six points after like 19 minutes of play. So it wasn't like they were dominating. They just kind of were in a comfortable position. Then they had a nice little mini spurt going into a timeout with Gallo had a two-hand dunk to go by 11. Um, always fun to see Gallo dunk the ball <laughs> just as a, as a neutral observer. But Charlotte's defense was quite bad in this game. I don't want to make that too much of a talking point, but it really was uh, tough to watch if you were just a neutral NBA observer, just kind of uh, likes defense like I do. Rough stuff there. And the Hawks, though, were shooting 40% from two for the first, like, I don't know, quarter and a half. They just were making threes, and Young and Hunter were one of 10 from two at that point in time. But Gallo got going. He had eight points in about two minutes to put the lead up to, to 13. Charlotte did close strong. In fact, the Hawks, um, sorry, the Hornets had the ball down six only in the at the end of the first half. But LaMelo Ball, who was pretty brutal at times in this game, threw up a wild shot, and then Trey scored to put the Hawks up back up by eight at the end of the first half. Um, pretty disappointing at times, actually, because the Hawks were up by eight, at the break, but they should have been up by like 15 or more probably with the way that Charlotte played the way the, and the way the Hawks played. Um, only a 113 offensive rating in the first half for the Hawks. That's pretty solid in terms of the overall number, but actually worse than the Hawks normally average and well below where they would probably be um, with how many breakdowns the Hornets were having defensively in the first half. Um, they shot 44% from two. That was the big problem in the first half of this game. A three of 14 on twos from Trey and Hunter before halftime. They shot 44% on threes. And honestly, I'm someone that will point this out. If you listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that. Um, when I think the Hawks or, or another team are shooting above their heads or below their heads, I will uh, point that out. It felt reasonable that the Hawks were shooting 44% from three. Usually, anybody that shoots that well from three, it's like, all right, maybe it's a little bit lucky. But really, on the looks they were getting, it didn't feel that way. They were getting a lot of open shots, and the Hornets were allowing open shots regularly. 
They did a good job taking care of the ball again throughout this game, which was huge, as I talked about yesterday. Charlotte relies on turnovers and uh, transition points on offense, and the Hawks did neither of those things uh, playing in their hands, which is very, very positive. Capella had a double-double before halftime, illustrating his impact on the game. And then Gallo and Hunter and Herder, I should say, both scored 10 plus points in the first half. Uh, traded not, which didn't really matter at that point in time. And then defensively, we'll come back to this later on, but I had actually argued that the Hawks might play better defensively than they did offensively in this game, which is kind of crazy if you look at the store at the score, but I think it might actually be true. But they held the Hornets to below 40% on twos in the first half. Um, they did well on the glass with Capella on the floor. Not so much about him. In fact, they allowed some pretty rough offensive rebounds at times to Charlotte in the second unit minutes. But alas, um, the Hornets did turn the ball over eight times before halftime as well. Some of that was shot making by Charlotte, but the Hawks only allowed six points on turnovers to the Hornets and also six six fast six fast break points, I should say, um, before the half, which was uh, huge. And the Hawks generally will take that all day long against an opponent like Charlotte, who really relies on that kind of uh, transition and secondary uh, shot creation and uh, the way to uh, sort of gather up points in transition. So. With all that said, Hawks up by eight at the halftime break. Obviously, we know at, at this point the Hawks dominated the second half of this game, but we'll, we'll kind of break here and just say, like, the Hawks didn't even play that well, I don't think, in the first half, and they were still up by eight, and uh, that kind of is a foreshadowing for what was to come in the third quarter. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. Baseball is in full swing right now, and of course, NBA playoffs are on the horizon with the best teams in the league taking the floor over the next couple of weeks and months. With that in mind, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs and your information this year. All the latest odds, contests, futures, player props, exotics, and much more. BetOnline is the best place for all the latest developments in sports, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. Of course, it's not just basketball or baseball either. You have all the information wagering that you could possibly want and all live betting future casino games, all that fun stuff that you want to play around with at betonline.net. And all of the sports, in addition to basketball and baseball, are available, whether it's golf or esports, tennis, auto racing, horse racing, hockey, MMA, boxing, soccer, even cricket, entertainment bets, and much more. And Futures Market is always running over at Bet Online when it comes to baseball, futures, win totals, uh, NBA stuff with the players with, with the playoffs, of course, approaching in terms of champions and conference winners, series prices, all of that. And NFL and college football are nearing each and every day. As a website right now at BetOnline.net or your computer or mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action in the sports world today. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, the third quarter, as a spoiler alert, went very, very well for the Hawks. If you missed this game, if you were under a rock or just busy on Wednesday night and want to listen to the podcast to catch up on the, on the game, it was 42-24 to 24 in favor of the Hawks in the third quarter, and that might not even tell the whole story. The Hawks were incredible, the Hornets were brutal, and uh, that sets it up pretty well. Now, at the early portion of the third, um, the, Haw- the Hawks did go up by 14, actually, after a three by Hunter. Uh, sorry, I threw by Trey to go up by 14 points after a nice pass by a pass to Hunter um, before that. But the, the Hornets did come back and had their one run of the period. It was an eight to two run to go from being down by 14 to being down by six or eight at that stage. And they called timeout. They had a total miscue. The left Terry Rozier wide open in the corner, and he could have done his taxes before shooting. That's how open he was at that point. And Charlotte did find some success, very limited success, but some success with their zone defense early in the third quarter. Now, the pivot point, I'm not sure if it was because of the timeout, but certainly there was a timeout and the Hawks were up by eight points, um, 70 to 62. And circle that right now, because when that happened, everything after that point went beautifully for Atlanta. First off, DeAndre Hunter had a great stretch. In fact, his best stretch in quite some time 
for Atlanta. He's been struggling recently, which got, I mean, I'm not trying to pick on him. People were getting mad at me the other day for picking on the other Hunter. I'm not really doing that. I promise you. I've always been kind of high on Hunter, honestly, but he had not been playing well for a while. And in this game, he broke out. Even in the first half of this game, he wasn't very good. I don't think, but third quarter, he really, really gave out a lot of effort and energy and finishing around the rim, rebounding and all those things that you want to see from him overall. He made four straight shots at the rim, which was good to see, including an offensive rebound put back for a three-point play. That was a huge shot. Um, he was at the center of a 9-1 to run by the Hawks, go by 16. That was the first salvo in the run by Atlanta. They scored 19 points in the first five and a half minutes or so of the third quarter, which is a good sign, obviously, overall. And I talked about this a little bit earlier, but the sneaky thing at, the, at that point was that the Hornets had only scored exactly one point per possession through about two and a half quarters. And given where the Hornets were coming in, that is a huge win for Atlanta. Of course, after a timeout by the Hornets, it didn't really stop from there. Hunter individually was awesome. He had 16 points on seven of eight shooting in the first eight minutes of the second half. That is a huge stretch. His season high for points in a half, not a quarter, in a half was 17. And he scored 16 points in eight minutes. So there you go on that. Overall, it was a 23 to five run by the Hawks to go from basically up by six or eight to being up by 26, breaking the game open in a way that was never going to be recoverable for the Hornets. Um, the Hawks scored 33 points in about eight and a half minutes to open the second half. And here's the headliner, which I mentioned once before, but I want to drive it home again now. The Hawks scored on 14 consecutive possessions. That is extremely, extremely rare, especially in a matchup like this where, yes, the Hornets are bound on defense, but this is a game in which both teams are giving max effort. It's a, it's a winner-go-home kind of effort. And the Hawks went from up 70-62, to being up 101-75. They scored 31 points on 14 possessions. That is more than two points per possession. And again, you don't score on even seven or eight possessions in a row very often. 14 possessions in a row with at least two points is ludicrous. And that happened for the Hawks at that point. And when that was over, it was basically over for the game. Now, I'm not someone who wants to say that any game is over with a full quarter to go in the NBA unless it's like a 50-point game. They were up by 26 at the end of the third quarter. It wasn't 100% over. We've seen some crazy stuff happen, but it did feel over, and that ended up being the case at that stage. Through three quarters, the numbers were crazy. We'll come back to the full game numbers in a minute, but the third, third quarter numbers, uh, just, just in the third, the Hawks were 16-24 from the floor, so that's 67%, two out of every three shots. They had no turnovers. That's a huge thing in the third quarter. They had 10 assists. That's a crazy number. And they got a rebound on three of their eight missed shots. So basically, that's about as good as you can be on offense in a period. Um, and because of that, they lifted their whole um, oeuvre overall in the third quarter. And their first three quarter numbers were crazy. And uh, we'll leave that there for now. Uh, in the fourth, it was pretty much over again, as I said. It was kind of ugly with the second unit on the floor early in the fourth quarter. But that did, that did not bite them. The Hawks only scored actually eight points in the first like five minutes of the fourth. But they won that stretch because Charlotte just could not score. That's what I was talking about before about... The Hornets are awesome on offense for the most part, but it was not the case in this game. The Hawks were up by 29 with seven minutes to go. It got to as many as 34 at one point in the fourth period. They brought Trey back in, which, you know, you can kind of go either way on that. I thought generally Nate played the guys a little bit too long, but that's usually what he does. So I'm not going to like say that's anything groundbreaking or different. Uh, but you know, even on Twitter, people that sort of observed the league were like, why are the stars in for the Hawks still? Um, I will say Nate Duncan, friend of the podcast, who's been on this show and also I've been on his show several times, did mention this in sort of a, a feather back in Nate's cap is that usually what happens to the NBA, and he's right about this, is that until the team that's losing pulls their starters, the team that's winning doesn't usually do that. Now, the exception would be in this game that the Hawks ha knew that they were going to have to play again in 46 hours or so in Cleveland, whereas the Hornets are done for the season. So that's kind of changing it up a little bit. But 
there, other than other than a stretch where Miles Bridges got ejected, in fact, he made national news because he threw his mouth guard. Um, he actually turned it over, committed a foul, committed a goaltend, and then got ejected in like five seconds. It was pretty crazy. He was really bad in this game for Charlotte overall. But after all that, they finally took Trey out with about four and a half minutes to go, as well as Capella. They left Gallo and Herter in a little bit longer, but then it was they closed it out from there, and they actually got the garbage time minutes. People asking for Sharif Cooper. He was not eligible to play in this game. Two-way guys, not eligible in the postseason. But Kevin Knox, Jalen Johnson, Gorgie Jang, Skylar Mays, all got in the game at the end, and the Hawks were able to sort of cruise control their way to the victory down the stretch. As for some takeaways and the numbers from this game, obviously the Hawks were dominant. If that You don't only get – to a 29-point victory in a uh, playing game without being dominant. The offense was really good. And really, the Hawks were good on both of the floor. Um, offensively, I think, if anything, they weren't even as good as the numbers indicated at times. But um, 50% from three is really, really impressive. But as I said in the first half, it was, they were really good looks. Maybe they made a few more than they probably should have. But still, they made a lot of shots, and they were all good looks. 31 assists, that's excellent. 52% from the floor is good. 12 turnovers, only eight of which were in the competitive portion of this game. That's actually absolutely huge. I talked about this a lot last night on the show. But if there was one thing the Hawks could not afford to do in this game was turn the ball over, and they didn't do that, which is huge in this game. They had their way. Um, James Borrego, the head coach of the Hornets, got a lot of uh, got a lot of attention negatively in this one. You know, in his defense, I'm not sure what the Hornets are supposed to do. They don't really have great personnel. They have bad personnel, actually, defensively overall. And especially once it, once it became clear that the Hawks were going to make shots, it was like, all right, this is uh, they have no plan B here. Uh, I can't even imagine what would happen if, if Trey had it going offensively in terms of it as a score in this game. But I thought the Hawks underperformed in the first half, but still ended up scoring at a, a pretty obscene clip throughout the game. I thought they took advantage of Charlotte's issues along the way. Once it settled in, it was kind of lights out, especially in that third quarter, where, again, they scored on 14 possessions in a row. Ludicrous stuff from Atlanta. Okay, defensively. For the full game, the Hornets scored almost exactly a point per possession. And that doesn't sound like anything crazy, but the Hornets are good offense and the Hawks are not a good defense usually, but they really were in this game. I thought they played very well. Um, part of that can be attributed to the Hornets guards uh, just playing poorly. Um, Ball and Rozier combined to shoot 15 of 47 from the floor and um, I think like 25-ish percent from three. So those guys scored a lot of points. They, they were not efficient at all. Bridges was a non-factor for most of this game as well. And those three guys are the key to Charlotte's offense. So if they were all bad and they were in this game, that's tough sledding for the Hornets. But the Hawks did play well defensively overall. In fact, they held them under per possession in the competitive portion of the game. The Hornets shot 30% from the floor. They had 14 turnovers and only 20 assists. That's a heck of a ratio there. Big number here. 11 fast break points for the Hornets. And honestly, I think it was more like eight before garbage time. So the Hawks did a great job taking care of the ball, getting back on defense. Charlotte was not good, for sure. But as everyone said after the game, from Nate to the players to everybody else that was observing this game, the defense was actually pretty good overall, and I would agree with that. I think it's going to sound crazy. If I had my evaluation that, and somebody just said, look, you have to choose which unit was better, offense or defense, I think I might have said defense. Now, the offense was still obviously good. They scored 132 points, but Charlotte's offense is legitimately good, and the Hawks did a good job on them throughout the, throughout the game. Yes, Atlanta played well on offense, but I, I do think that Charlotte just was really bad defensively at times, and the Hawks did execute. But uh, yeah, I would say defensively, they did a really good job. And that's a hugely uh, positive data point heading into Friday and beyond. Okay, before we get to the player evaluations, some final thoughts on this game and a brief look ahead to Friday's game in Cleveland. A word from our sponsors on the podcast. 
Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that gives you the features of $200 sunglasses for a fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well-constructed frames that are also durable and premium high-end finishes. On top of that, Shady Rays has this awesome protection program that's something you just cannot find anywhere else. It includes loss and broken protection on every single pair, and they'll send you a brand new pair. Yes, a brand new pair if you lose them no matter what happened. Give them a try today. If you don't love it, you won't have to pay anything at all. It's as simple as that with Shady Rays. Plus, 10 meals are donated to Fight Hunger in America when you shop with Shady Rays. And for our listeners exclusively, you head to ShadyRays.com, use the promo code Locked On to get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for the best deal of the season from Shady Rays. That's 50% off. 50% off. Two more, two or more pairs with Shady Rays sunglasses, backed by over 150,000 verified five-star reviews. Check it all out today at ShadyRays.com. All right, lots of positives to discuss on the player side in this game. The bench was solid, not explosive. Other than McDonald, which was pretty good. Um, TLC, I thought played well. Had, hit, 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 uh, he had a pair of threes in this game. Eight points, five rebounds. It was plus five in 16 minutes. Thought he did his job for the most part defensively as well. DeLon Wright made DeLon Wright plays. Eight points, four assists. Had a huge block that made the highlight rounds. Five rebounds, three or four from the floor. Had a, had a pull-up three, which was a lot of fun to see from DeLon. Uh, played very well as often. Um, Bogdanovich, 13 points on 10 shots. Really good ratio there. Hit three threes. Had an assist, had a steal. Was plus 17 playing with the starters and was obviously quite good. Akongwu was relatively quiet, uh, did have five fouls in 17 minutes and two turnovers. If there was one guy who didn't play all that well, it's probably Akongwu, but I thought he was still fine for the most part and gave him some good mobility defensively as he is wont to do. Um, to the starters in this game, really everybody played well and they all had double figures. In fact, the Hawks had six guys with at least 13 points. That's a good sign, usually. Uh, Herter was not like extremely aggressive only took nine shots but made five of them made three or four from three had four assists five, five rebounds 13 points had five fouls so that kept him out a little bit um off the floor but um you know he played well overall plus 24 did a good job on the middle ball as the primary defender for the most part in this game and uh, he bothered him a little bit got him out of sorts and that was a positive contribution Gallinari was good 18 points on 12 shots uh three rebounds two assists for Gallo defensively he had some issues as he often does but I think that Gallo uh, generally was a positive in this game uh, Capella, I thought was awesome across the board. And people were starting to notice this a little bit more. Uh, I've been saying it for a long time. As listeners will probably roll their eyes now. I think Capella has been really, really good for like three months. Uh, people are keep saying like the last couple of weeks. I think it's been really for a long time. I know he had uh, sort of a slow start, but even then I think he was probably playing better. People thought that he was at that point in time, but uh, he was really awesome tonight. Again, 15 points, 17 rebounds, two steals, three blocks, three assists, um, made six, nine shots. At, from the floor uh granted it's a positive matchup for him obviously he's much better than the guys like Plumley and even Harold that he's playing against in this game so I'm not gonna like go crazy about his offense but defensively he was excellent and I thought that uh, Clint was uh, one of the MVPs of the night for Atlanta uh Trey did a good job um despite not the did not despite not shooting the ball very well so he was underwater efficiency wise he had 24 points on 28 shooting possessions that's not what he usually would be able to do he was seven of 17 on twos that's not good one seven for three obviously not good got to the line for eight times that's obviously a positive but had 11 assists and once he figured out that the hawks could do whatever they wanted to um without him scoring he kind of always deferred a little bit more Probably took four or five shots that I thought were pretty bad in terms of like just being overly aggressive just because of how easy the Hawks were scoring when he was passing it. But still, I thought he was at least a, a bigger positive than the uh, numbers indicate. And the big thing is people sometimes, even myself, for like I under-discuss this, the impact of him being on the floor was what taxed Charlotte the most in this game. Trey wasn't individually brilliant by his standards necessarily, but because the Hornets knew how good he is, they had to throw so many things at him that they were sort of out of sorts everywhere else and Trey made a lot of plays as a result. And then DeAndre Hunter, 
I mean, just his best game in a long time, honestly. 22 points, seven rebounds. That's a very good number for him, by the way, seven rebounds. Uh, two assists, um, no steals or blocks, but was plus 27. Nice to see from the floor, two of three from three, two of two from the free throw line. Had a couple of pretty shaky attempts early in this game from, from two. I think he missed his first four two-point attempts. But once he settled in, he was much better. The third quarter, he was aggressive. He was physical. Um, you love that from Hunter. Obviously, it's not been the best season for DeAndre for being objective about it. I have to say that out loud. But I think he was a genuine positive in this one. The third quarter, he was awesome. So more of that if you were the Hawks. You're trying to bottle that up in advance of Friday and even hopefully beyond that if you're for Atlanta. But he was an X factor in this one. And uh, he was a big part of why the Hawks broke it open in that third quarter. So from here, we'll wrap up this game now and just say, look, the Hawks played well. The Hornets did not. But the Hawks, you know, I thought they were going to win the game. I did not anticipate a 29-point win. I thought it was always possible the Hawks would blow them out. But they did not necessarily have any challenge here whatsoever. And a positive of that in addition to just having the win and having not being up for, up for debate, is that in the fourth quarter, they were not pressing hard. And this is a not a back-to-back, but it's still a turnaround in which they're playing the Cavs um, at home for Cleveland. And also the Cavs played last night. So an extra day of rest and home court advantage for Cleveland. Um, of note, by the way, the NBA already announced this, but game one against Miami for whoever wins, whether it be Atlanta or Cleveland on Friday, will be at 1 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday. So if the Hawks win, they will have beaten the Hornets tonight on Wednesday night they have to go to Cleveland to win on Friday night. And then they have another quick turnaround to go from Cleveland on a Friday night late to Miami for a one o'clock tip on Sunday. That is part of the punishment of being the nine seed is that the Hawks have to come back and overcome some schedule weirdness here if they were to get into the mix. But alas, a long way to go before them. The Hawks, by the way, as a short look here, are three and one against Cleveland this year. Win the last three games in a row. You may remember that early in the season, like back in October, the Hawks lost to the Cavs. It was like, whoa, what a bad loss for Atlanta because the Cavs were supposed to be bad this year. I said that for sure, and they weren't bad. They played very well. But ever since then, the Hawks have been pretty good against Cleveland. The 3-0 again. All eyes on Jared Allen in between now and Friday. Obviously, the Hawks have a lot of eyes on John Collins. As discussed yesterday, Chris Kirscher reported that it was kind of unlikely that Collins is going to play on Friday. We'll see if there's any change between now and then. But uh, – Basically, Cleveland is not the same team without Jared Allen. It's very, very clear. In fact, they are 9-18 and 18 without Jared Allen this season. One more time, they're 9-18 and 18 without him, and they are uh, much better than that with him, let's just say. Uh, so that's a huge factor. If he can't play, the Hawks might be favored on the road, which says a lot because, again, I said this before, but the Hawks are 1-11 and 11 on the road against good teams since January 1st. And the one win was against, was against Charlotte, and Charlotte's not exactly the greatest opponent in the world. So Atlanta has not done a lot of positive work on the road for the last three-plus months. Now, uh, I would argue that the Cavs, in their current form without Jared Allen, are maybe a 500 team, maybe worse than that. So this is not exactly a team that the Hawks should be underdogs against anyway. If Allen were to play, maybe the Hawks would be slight underdogs. But even then, it's, it's kind of a quote for the game in a lot of ways. Even with the Hawks going on the road, it's not going to be a huge uh, uphill battle for Atlanta in the projections, in the market, all that stuff. And really, as much as I've said that, like, look, you can't assume anything on the road and having to win two games in a row is a big disadvantage. Now that the Hawks have won the game that they have just won on Wednesday, they're going to be favored, I think, in Cleveland, at least by a little bit, if Allen doesn't play. In fact, right now, but online, our friends, as of Wednesday evening, have the Hawks as two-point favorites right now. I think that probably assumes that Allen doesn't play, but still, that tells you that even on the road, where they've had some some struggles recently, the Hawks are still slight favorites in Cleveland. Um, as for the rest of this like sort of mini preview, we'll have one more podcast, by the way, in between games. I'm planning to do a crossover event with Locked on Cavaliers on Thursday at some point, just to, to tell you that ahead of time. But... Cleveland is not great on offense. Darius Garland's very good, but other than him, he's kind of all they have in terms of primary shot creation. 
Evan Mobley's a good player. Obviously, they have some shot makers like Kevin Love, Karis LeVert, Laurie Markkinen, et cetera. Not a whole lot of creation beyond Garland. And they turn the ball over a lot, which is uh, an advantage for the Hawks. Um, Defensively, they've been pretty good all year long. But without Allen, not the same team. He's their anchor, along with Mobley, of course. Um, And guys like Love and Markkinen are pretty pretty significant negatives in my mind defensively. So uh, at this point in time, I firmly believe that the Hawks are better than the Cavs. Um, the fact that they have to go on the road does neutralize things a little bit. But um, as of right now, this moment, I would pick the Hawks to win, which is not a small thing. If you know this podcast, you listen to me, I'm not going to just say that to say it just for the sake of people. People get mad at me all the time. That's okay. I wouldn't say this if I didn't believe it. I think the Hawks are better than the Cavs. Um, the reason why it's even close for me to pick this game is that it's in Cleveland. If it was in Atlanta, I would be pretty firm in picking Atlanta. I still think I'm probably leaning toward the Hawks in this one, even on the road. So we'll come back to that later on and we'll get it sort of some final thoughts on Thursday, but a good spot. Honestly, overall, if you had to choose the path for Atlanta, once they were in the nine ten, I talked about this a little bit on the, on the podcast this week already, but if you assume the Hawks are in the nine ten, home Charlotte and on the road in Cleveland is pretty favorable overall. So uh, the, the slate is open. And of course, if you're the Hawks, you're holding your breath now and you're hoping to win Friday and you're playing on Sunday afternoon in Miami. So we'll touch on all that when we get to it, but at the end of the day, a very nice uh, evening slash day at the office for Atlanta. Some weirdness when they train around State Farm Arena. Travel nightmares for the Hornets, for me, other people getting to the arena, all that stuff. But uh, um, a generally a positive day for the Hawks franchise. And uh, after a day off for travel on Thursday, they'll go straight from Atlanta to Cleveland and they'll have a showdown on Friday night. So I'll have a podcast between now and then and another show after the game on Friday. As always, we'll have six or seven episodes on one week of podcasting. Hopefully that is appreciated on some level and we'll get into all that stuff later. No days off at this time of year. And just again, a turnaround is be lightning fast if they were to win on Friday, but we'll come back to that later on when we need to. Please subscribe to the show on whichever podcast platform you enjoy, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, all those fun places. I would recommend crossover subscriptions on both YouTube and an audio platform to help out the podcast. Leave five-star ratings and reviews and tell your friends about the show. Please follow the show on Twitter at Hawks. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to, at BT Roland. And we'll see you again on Thursday.